Each of us is dealt a deck of cards, so to speak, when we are born onto this planet. This deck includes where you were born, the family you were born into, the culture, the geography, the religion, the expectations. You've got a certain body you have to work with, health issues, disabilities, money or no money. We each get a different setup. Now, I believe that we get the setup that we need in order to learn the things that we need to learn and have the experiences that we need to have. And whether or not you are of that same mindset, we can't deny that we all have a different set of circumstances. And what we do with those circumstances determines who we are and how we live and what we create with our life. We are the creators of our own lives. And like an artist, we have a certain amount of clay or paint, or in today's case, recycled computer keys to work with. Stay tuned as I talk with Eric Jensen, a born artist who is also deaf. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. I met Eric Jensen at the Salt Lake City Arts Festival, where he was showing his incredible keyboard keys art creations. It's hard to explain without graphics what that exactly looks like, but basically he creates really impressive pictures by coloring and organizing recycled computer keyboard keys into pictures. It's fantastic and so interesting. His art has won several awards since he started it in high school and then went through college and arts and then started doing shows and festivals. He graduated from Utah Valley University with a BS in art education in 2017. And he started doing art with computer keyboard keys in 2013. He took it into the business realm in 2017 and went into being a full-time artist in 2018. He loves spending time with his family. And when he finds the time, he even gets on his 36-inch unicycle for exercise. <laughs> Such a unique person. Unicycles and keyboard art. <laughs> I love it. His productive and artistic life is built from his specific deck of cards. A supportive mom and teachers, his artist's eye, being deaf, and learning how to hear and talk and sign. Eric, so excited to hear your story. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here. We would love to hear your story. First of all, I just want to know, were you born deaf? Yes, I was born deaf in both of my ears. So that's how I was born, yeah. Okay. And when did you know that you loved art? So I always tell people that art is my first language because I struggle with speaking because being born deaf, I didn't learn sign language until I was older. And so I had to learn how to speak. And so I didn't speak full sentences until I was five. So art was always that way of communicating. So that's how I feel. Art is my first language. English is my second language. Sign language is my third language. So I've just <laughs> always been intrigued. And that was my way of communicating. Oh, and I still and today. Yeah, what a beautiful way of communicating. 
One of the things, so when I saw your booth, obviously stopped and looked at your art because it was fantastic. And then as we spoke with you more and came to understand that you were a deaf artist who you used to teach high school, right? Yes, I did teach high school for four years. Okay, which you loved. And then you started oh, getting yeah, so much attention from this computer keyboard recycling art that you're doing that you decided to take a stint where you focus specifically on that, right? Mm-hmm. So when I was teaching high school, I felt like I was a great teacher. I learned a lot of classroom management from schooling and everything, but I didn't really feel like I was a very good artist and I, I couldn't really teach my students. So I felt very hypocritical as a teacher. I was a good teacher, but not a very good artist. So I felt, you know, I'm young. Um, I don't need a lot of money. So I'm just going to go ahead and try being an artist for a couple of years so that I can become a better teacher. So I took that leap of faith. And I always told my students that they can't be afraid. They need to follow their dreams. But then I realized I wasn't following my dream. And I was telling my kids to follow their dreams. So I need to do what I was trying to teach them. So I wanted to set an example for my students and those teenagers with hormones, you know, show them that life is that way. And so I took that step and took that leap of faith and started growing the business on the side and then did art full time and it grew really fast. And so I decided I need to take a break off of teaching and to do this so I can follow my dreams so that I can set that example. I love that. What a great reason. Tell me how your deafness has affected your art. What kind of challenges has that posed for you? Well, as a young child, art was always my way of communicating. I was successful at it and people would always be like, oh, you're good at it. But then when I tried to speak, my speech was terrible and my speech is okay. I still have an accent, but I've been doing speech therapy for years. My dear, like five years growing up from young age, two, three years old, all the way up until probably 10 to 11. And then when I got my implant, when I was 13, I had to do speech therapy all over again because it messed up my hearing. And so I had to do it all over again. So I did so many years of speech therapy and so many people criticized or corrected my speech. So it was always really frustrating that I was the dumb kid. I was not smart enough. I was not good enough. I would never be normal. And so art just made me feel normal, whereas speaking... I never felt normal. And so I decided that with my art and with my teaching, I can help people understand that they can be normal. And it's not about being the same. It's about being different and using that to make the difference. That's kind of what I've learned in my life and with the arts and with my deafness and that it's okay to be different. That's what makes you better. And so I kind of embrace that deafness and I love it now. Like I view it as an ability, not a disability. It's a great thing and I love it. And then whenever I see somebody using something that have challenges, health problem, mental, whatever, and they're using it for good, I'm always so excited. And that's kind of what I've tried to stand for. That's a powerful message. Your challenges should help you rise, not bring you down. This is a quote from you. How have you used your challenges to help you rise? So just the same thing with deafness and with like writing unicycles with art. I've always believed that life is too short to be normal and to be, you know, try to be like everybody else. You need to rise up and be different and it should rise you up. And so I kind of taken that 
true to my heart that I've always tried to stand out with my computer key is totally different. I'm the only one that's doing it. And so, and with my deafness, with unicycling, I've always found interest in things or what nobody's doing. And I've always loved that. And so that's kind of what I've tried to do in my life. And people do different things. I might do it. You know, that's if nobody's doing it, then do it. You know, because that's kind of how I want to pave that way. And so that's kind of where I've always, so it should lift you up. What's the response that you get from people when you do this, just your own unique type of being? Do you get any type of negative response? Oh, all the time. Yeah. I get a lot of people, they're very negative about it, but that's just, you know, that's the world. And I don't listen to them because they really obviously don't understand where I'm coming from and they don't know the story. And so I just say, whatever, they really don't understand. But those people that do understand and they're inspired by it, I'm inspired too. And we can inspire each other and we can raise both ourselves up. And so I try to do that. So I don't listen to those negative, everybody's gonna get them. And you can choose if you want to listen to them or not. And I decide not to. Yeah, I, because I go viral a lot because of my unicycling is very different and my keyboard art I go viral a lot so I get millions of views and I get millions of comments of different things about me and negative and positive and I just realized you know what I'm not going to ruin my life over those negative maybe those 10 people out there they're just negative people and that's just their choice and I'm just going to be okay with it and I'm going to try to inspire. So I have to go through millions and I might get 10 people that are negative, but I can help thousands and millions of people inspire them. And I'm more interested in that. So I just, you know, you're right. There will always be the haters and there will always be the people who have their own spaces of broken and are in that (laughs) place where they want to pull other people down. And there's nothing that you can really do about it. So your wisdom in choosing right off the bat to say, I'm just not going to let that in. And then yeah, you spend no time. Me, but then once I became viral multiple times, I realized, you know what? They really don't understand this story and they really are missing the point of life. I'm just trying to inspire them. And I'm just trying to, you know, just trying to help the world be a better place. And if you obviously don't see that, then you you're really not getting it. So it really doesn't matter. And I'm not trying to get to you. I'm trying to get to those that we can help each other. And none of us can reach everybody. You know, everybody has their own tribe and their own people that are vibrating on the level where they're at. And those are the only people that we can ever reach. So it's just kind of a mindset of knowing that the people who need what you have to give are going to recognize and take it. And the other people, there just has to be a space where they, you know, we allow them to be in their own. Yep, beautifully <laughs> so, in talking with you, I learned that early on in your story, you indicated that you were rejected from an education program, but you fought it. Tell us a little bit about that story. So, I did a lot of art. I had a full ride scholarship for the arts in the uh, Utah Valley University. So I went there, I started doing my generals. I decided I wanted to do art education. I love teaching, I love education. So I applied for the education program and they rejected me. And I was like, wait, what? And they rejected me because of my so-called test scores and they were not good enough and that my English was so-called not good enough. And I was kind of 
bothered by that, that my old test scores that were old, they were five years old, that they were grading me on that test score that was taken five years ago. And that I've been taking all these English classes in college, trying to improve my English skills because of my English is my third language. So it's, you have to learn it. And so it took me a while to learn it and to understand it. But I was I was capable. I could write papers. I could read. I could understand. I could articulate myself. And so I applied. They rejected me. So I was like, that's just silly. That's ridiculous. So I fought them. So I met, I emailed the dean of the education program and I said, I'm going to meet with you. You have to meet with me. So I sat down. I went to her office. I had a letter of all these different uh, reasons why they shouldn't reject me. I said, this is ridiculous. You're rejecting me. Da, 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 da. And I just laid it out to her. And I was like, that's stupid. This is ridiculous. So she's like, oh, well, we can't let you in the program. Da, da, da. So I was like, no, what do I need to do? So I let her and I said, we're going to fight this. So she let me talk to the board of directors and all that stuff. So she talked with them and she came back a week later and she said, actually, we're going to put you on probation for a semester. You can come into the program, but we're going to put you on probation. If we don't think you can do it. I was like, okay, whatever. So they put me on probation. I got into the program. Not really. I was in the program, but not in the program. I was on probation. So I did my first semester. I got A's in every one of those classes. And all those professors, that like five professors, five classes, all those professors had to write a letter to fight me so that I can be in the program. And all five of them said, you are stupid if you don't let him in because he is a valuable player. He's a good teacher. He knows his English. He's better. And you can't based on that test score five years ago. And so it took a while for me to get it and I got in and I passed, great. I got A's in every one of those classes. I worked so hard for those classes because I wanted to show them that you can't, just because of my indifference, you can't reject me because of that. And I had something to add and I felt like I did. And so it was a good challenge for me to realize, you know what? Even if I got rejected, I could have just been like, you know what, that's stupid, I'm done, I can go do something else. But I fought it and I'm grateful I fought it because it was such a valuable skill and I was so, I'm so blessed from those classes that I took. Congratulations, congratulations on getting in, but even more so, I love the spirit behind it. I love the, yeah, just the, the power and the spirit and belief that you have in your own self and the things you love and where you're going and that other people don't get to put up the roadblocks that you're going to challenge those. Yeah, that's what you have to do. And a life is like that. You just kind of have to fight your way through and find ways to make it better. So I realized, okay, then I don't, I obviously are I'm lacking something that you think I need. So I worked on it so that I can make it better. And so I worked at it. I wasn't just like, you have to do it. I said, okay, you think my English skills is not good enough? Fine, I'll take classes to make my English skill better. I'll practice, I'll do those things. So I obviously, I was working at it and I realized, I was scared, I was like, oh crap, I'm like shaking right before me and the dean of the education program, like she's way high up there and I'm like, why should I be here, you know? So I had to really believe in myself to fight it through. And so I think you just kind of have to I don't know. Just be different. It's life is too boring to be normal and to just follow what everybody tells you you have to do. You don't have to follow what everybody tells you. You can do what you want to do. Mm-hmm.
You know, we have a limited amount of time here on the planet, and we are drawn towards certain things that make us happy. And sometimes we do have to fight for those things. Many times, I think the things that are most important and most worthwhile are things that we have to put forth great effort and Mm -hmm. choice toward developing. And that's a great example of it, a really great example, and really pivotal to the direction that your life went, Mm -hmm. which is the direction that you chose to have it go. That's a really great example. Thank you. So why computer keys? Let's talk about your art for a minute. (laughs) I can talk about it all day. (laughs) It's just so much fun. I So back in art school, I had an assignment the professor gave me. He gave us a sculpture assignment. He said, you need to take something that people don't want and make it into something they want. So I had an old keyboard and I was like, well, I really don't want that. So what am I going to do with it? So I took it apart and made a little sculpture and my professor was like, that's the coolest thing. I've never seen anything like that. And when I hear, I've never seen anything like that, I'm like, ooh, this is interesting. So I started playing with the idea. I started reaching out to people and say, hey, you have old keyboards, you have old keyboards. And I started researching it to see if there was anybody else doing it. And nobody was making art out of keyboards. I'm like, this is a fun. And I was really intrigued by the whole recycling. I've always been really concerned about the recycling and being green and being resourceful. And so I kind of was like, you know, this is my calling. Maybe I can do something with this. So I just kind of grew it. It took me a while to figure out how to do it and build all these relationships to get keyboards. But I have to get thousands of keyboards to be able to make my art. And so I had a branch out and talk to lots of people all over the U.S. to try to get partnerships so I can get old keyboards. And then I take all the beige ones and soak them in dyes. I have a secret dye that I invented. It took me about a year and a lot of money to invent. Don't ask my wife how much I spent on that dye process. But anyway, so I worked on that and I made all these different colors and then I started doing pixelation. I was like, oh, pixelation. Everything we look at, I'm inspired by that pixelation that our phones, our our TV, everything is a form of pixelation that we're so drawn to that. And so I just started playing with that and I just started growing it and people were really intrigued by it. And I was really fascinated by how people were responding to it, that young people that were 10 years old could respond to it and old people could too. And so it's just really, and it was so, the emotions I was getting from it was so interesting. I had some people would go come up and be like, oh no, I cannot look at this. I, I look at a computer all day and I hate computers. They're so stressful. Oh, no, I can't, I just can't do this and walk off and like, they just can't look at my art. But then I get people that just can't not touch it. Like they just want to touch it all day long. And so it's really funny to see the response. And as an artist, that's what we are driven to see response, how people react with our art and to revoke feelings and those kinds of things. So it's just been a really fascinating journey for me. And so I just kind of play with it and just kind of stuck with it. And it's also been a really good challenge to work it all the way through. Because I've taken something that nobody's done or I can't just ask Google search and say, how do I make a computer key up? Because nobody does. So I had to go to plastic fabricators, go to plastic people, go to keyboards. Go. I had to go to all these people to talk about it, you know? And so it's just a fun journey to talk with so many people to build this art. And so there's so much history behind it. And so it's just been, there's so much to it. It's just been really fun. 
You know, when you are the Columbus of anything, the first person to try to figure out how to do something, it's definitely a process. And, you know, this exciting, adventurous journey. So that's wonderful. And since we don't have, since this is an audio program and not a visual program, I want to be sort of paint a picture, if you will, for the listeners of what your art actually is. So he takes the keyboard letters and numbers, he dyes them different colors. And then as he's talking about this pixelation, he puts them together in these different shades in order to actually make a mural, a picture, the, you know, these big wall mounted items that look like any number of things, landscapes and portraitures. And he does all kinds of things, but you see the actual picture that he's made, but the pixelation he's creating from keyboard keys. Do you have anything to add to that? Yep. That's perfectly. I love it when another person tries to explain it because I'm so bad at explaining it because I get to all the nitty gritty details. And so it's good to have somebody else that can see it in a different eye. Well, he's very talented. If you ever see him out there at an art show, you'll know exactly who he is because he's the only one doing it. What, as you seek to inspire people, what is your main message or any parting advice that you would like to give people today? Just like I said, life is too short to be boring and normal. I challenge you to try something different today. Be different. It's okay. And embrace that different because that different is an ability, not a disability. And if you live that way, it's so much better. And just accept it. People are going to be negative. Some people may be negative towards it, but that doesn't matter because we're not trying to please everybody. Yeah, that's not the point of life is to make everybody happy because nobody can make everybody happy. That just doesn't happen. Even like the most famous person, Bill Gates has some people that hate Bill Gates and people love Bill Gates, right? He has both. So you, Bill Gates is a great guy. Some people think he's negative. Some people don't like him, whatever. It doesn't matter. So you cannot please everybody. And so I just say, try something different embrace that different instability. So that's my parting advice. Hey, I'm giving you a standing ovation. <laughs> Thank you. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Eric, for being on the podcast today, for sharing your insight and your uniqueness and reminding us all how important it is to create the life that we want on purpose because we can. It doesn't matter what anybody else wants or expects of us. We should do what brings us alive. Yeah, it's scary when you try to do something different and you don't know. And I've always been scared. I'm like, well, am I doing the right thing or am I being silly or stupid? But that's, it's okay. You just have to believe in yourself and trust yourself and move on. And it's going to work out. Well, and, you know, we can make such beautiful tapestries of our own lives, such great artistic works when we get that all those wonderful colors, right? We allow for those wonderful colors of who we are to color it instead of trying to be the monotone beige that is the standard for everyone in society, you know? <laughs> Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good day. Okay, take care. At my house, we play Monopoly Deal a lot. This is Monopoly with Cards. It's actually a lot of fun. <laughs> but every hand is, of course, a different set of assets and chance cards and money and opportunities to create with. But what you do with those cards determines if you win or lose. 
What is a card that you are holding in your metaphorical deck of life cards that you need to find a way to leverage or to learn or to create something valuable with? Or maybe it's just that you need to accept it. Eric had to work with a deck of cards, and one of those cards was being deaf. I love talking to him and the realization that he didn't let this card hold him back at all. In fact, it catapulted him into a space of accepting all of the unique things about him and capitalizing upon those to live a life of color and balance and choice. His choice to not let this unchangeable card hold him back has made all of the difference in his life. Your challenge this week is to take stock To find a challenging card in your hand or a colorful card or something that you've kind of been just holding on to in the background and play with some ideas of learning or leveraging this card or just letting this card get loud and front and center in a way that supports the life that you want. Could it be learning from the cards that you've been dealt? Could you be gaining empathy and understanding from some difficult card? In episode 83, you'll remember Wendy Garrett, who was in an auto scooter accident where one of her legs was paralyzed. But instead of making a home in victim land, she found joy in getting involved in the world's seven largest marathons and having experiences that she would not have been able to have any other way. She was dealt this deck of paralysis of one of her legs, and instead of being in that hard space where it was something that now she couldn't do what she used to do because she was a gymnast before, instead she took that card and she made something powerful with it, and she got to travel all over the world and have these experiences of competing in these marathons in the disability category. That's just an example. What does your deck look like? How can you find joy and life satisfaction, even from the tough cards? And how can you celebrate the beautiful colors that are a part of you and see them as assets rather than disabilities? Share this podcast with someone you love and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. We would appreciate that if you're enjoying the show. We'll see you next week on the Love Your Story podcast. And remember, you can always go to the website, loveyourstorypodcast.com for any of the back episodes. We're at well over 150 now. And each one of these interviews holds some fabulous inspiration and empowerment ideas. So use them and share them and have a wonderful week. 